the Honorables, the Presiding Judge and Judges of the Court of Appeals of the State of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, the Court of Appeals is now in session. God save the State and this Honorable Court. Be seated. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Good afternoon, everyone. Judge Fred Gore, senior on the panel today. To my right, I have Judge Jefferson Griffin, and to my left, Judge Michael Stating. Uh, we have with us the High Clerk, um, Mr. Gene Soar, um, in with us today. And the parties have previously discussed with um, Mr. Soar, and he has come back, and we have assigned time blocks that we have for everyone. We know our order of march, and we have reserved five minutes for rebuttal. Is that correct? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. Right. Uh, with the appellate, we're with you. Thank we have, you, Your Honor. We have that's one case on today, and just for the record, we're at COA 23-672. Uh, you can continue. <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. My name is Derek Hunter, Special Deputy Attorney General, on behalf of the Department of Health and Human Services. <clears throat> Your Honors, this case is simply about whether or not the Department of Health and Human Services aired when it suspended in-person public hearings during the COVID-19 global pandemic. As Your Honors are aware, the standard of review in this case is de novo. Under the Administrative Procedure Act, a petitioner must allege and prove both agency error and independently substantial prejudice. <clears throat> in the instant case, the appellee, which I will refer to as Advent Health, alleges, and the administrative law judge held, that the agency erred when it decided to not hold in-person public hearings during the global pandemic and state of emergency. And by virtue of not holding a public hearing, Advent Health's rights were substantially prejudiced. The administrative law judge entered summary judgment, and I submit to the court, Your Honor, that it was not agency error to not hold public hearings during the global pandemic, but more importantly, even assuming arguendo that this court finds that it was agency error to not hold public hearings, <clears throat> Advent Health is unable to establish substantial prejudice. Well, Counsel, let's take the first, first step. Is there any statutory guidance that gives the agency or the ability for it to be discretionary versus mandatory for that hearing to be held? Your Honor, it is, it is the agency's position that the, based on the language of the statute, that the public hearing provision itself is discretionary and not mandatory. And, and we will pursue, we will certainly argue that point uh, more, more specifically during this public hearing. But yes, Your Honor, it is the agency's position that that is discretionary, not mandatory. <clears throat> Your Honor, in this case, Mission applied for a certificate of need to develop a freestanding emergency department in Buncombe County. Now, <clears throat> freestanding emergency departments are not, are not services that are found in the state medical facilities plan. However, because it meets the statutory threshold of more than $4 million to develop, it is subject to certificate of need review. Further, an applicant who proposes to develop that freestanding emergency department still must, pursuant to the CON law, demonstrate the need that the population it proposes to serve has for the services. Mission applied for a CON, Advent Health did not. In fact, Advent Health does not even operate a hospital in Buncombe County or in the service area for acute care services in that area of the state. Therefore, this was a non-competitive review. And as a result of the review, the agency found that Mission was fully conforming with all statutory criteria and granted the CON. In doing so, the agency determined that Mission demonstrated that the population it proposed to serve, which was 75%, 75% of whom were Buncombe County residents, needed the emergency services. Now, the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic cannot be overstated. Federal, state, local governments <clears throat> curtailed and some even came to a halt the various functions as leadership prioritized health. Governor Cooper issued approximately 100 emergency, I'm sorry, executive orders during this time. He and then Secretary of Department of Health and Human Services, Dr. Mandy Cohen, were on TV almost daily, pleading with citizens to stay home if possible, to limit travel, to wear masks when in public. Decisions were made day by day, hour by hour in some instances, in response to the fluctuating 
transmission rates, and the deaths that resulted from COVID-19. It was against this backdrop that the agency decided to suspend in-person public hearings. Now, it is undisputed that the review in this case met the criteria for a public hearing. So with that said, Council, in my previous question, and getting to the difference between discretionary versus mandatory, you listed the threshold dollar amount and some of the other requirements that I think are not disputed as being a mandate by the legislative scheme. Sure. Get me to how the requirement for the public hearing would be deemed discretionary in the scheme of the statutory makeup in light of some being mandatory, which I don't think is debated, and this one, which is your argument, that is discretionary. Get me to the statutory authority that grants the discretion to the agency. Okay. I will begin with the with 143B-137.1, which essentially charges the Department of Health and Human Services with maintaining the public's health. If you read that statute in pari materia with the CON statute, giving meaning to all parts of both statutes, it is undisputed that the agency must even in light of the CON process, maintain the public's health. And in this particular instance, the issue of a public hearing was not instructive. It was not the turning point or would make a decision as far as whether or not an application submitted by an applicant is fully conforming with statutory and regulatory review criteria. That is the standard for the issuance or the approval of a CON application. <clears throat> so the agency in this particular instance, in order to, if the agency had continued to hold in-person public hearings with the governor's executive orders, with its own secretary asking people to stay home, it would have been irresponsible, but more so it would have contravened the department's duty to ensure the public's health, safety, and welfare. Now, the agency did not eliminate completely the public's ability to comment on CON reviews, which is the fundamental purpose of the public hearing. Rather, it devised an alternative process whereby the public would be allowed to submit written comments in lieu of the public hearing, the same as if they would be, if, the same as if there were an actual public hearing. <clears throat> the agency allowed the public to submit written comments. The time period was the same in the CON process that a public hearing would have been held, and the agency communicated this process in numerous ways. First, it published the information on its website. It also described the process in a memorandum that it sent to all interested parties in the entire state of North Carolina. And this alternative process was not limited to just this CON case. During the state of emergency, the agency conducted 86 certificate of need reviews that would have required a public hearing but a public hearing was not held. And of those 86 reviews, they involved a wide range of healthcare services, establishments of hospitals, acquisition of equipment, and providers involved in those reviews included the largest healthcare providers in the state, including Duke, UNC, Mission, Novant, Atrium, Advent Health. <clears throat> it wasn't until I'm sorry, and then specifically, in addition to publishing the information on the website and, submit, and issuing the memorandum, in this particular review, as in the others, the agency sent letters directly to both parties in this case. It also published a legal notice in the Asheville Citizen Times, Buncombe County's local newspaper, alerting the public that the CON application was under review. It would be allowed to submit comments in lieu of a public hearing because no public hearing would be held. Now, importantly, Advent Health and members of the public availed themselves of this alternative process and submitted comments in lieu of a public hearing. In fact, Advent Health actually elicited comments from the public to submit to the agency in opposition to Mission's application. It wasn't until Advent Health did not receive the <clears throat> result that it desired, which was denial of Mission's application, that it decided it was somehow prejudiced by the process. Advent Health even asserts that the State Health Coordinating Council, which develops the annual SMFP, or State Medical Facilities Plan, still held public hearings, though virtually 
during the pandemic. However, the State Health Coordinating Council and the Department of Health and Human Services are separate entities governed by separate laws. The agency, by statutory scheme, the State Health Coordinating Council via executive order. <clears throat> the CON law provides. So, so they were able to submit comments, questions? Absolutely. In form. Absolutely. They were allowed to submit those comments, the same as if there was a public hearing. At a public hearing, members of the public may speak. They may take comments, written comments, hand them to the agency for the agency's consideration. But like, what's a, what's a hypothetical uh, session look like where people are able to ask questions in, in person? <clears throat> well, the way the public hearing is conducted is the members, the applicants are allowed to speak about their applications. They're not allowed to speak about opposing applications. And then there's time allotted for the public to speak. The public can speak, they're given a, a certain amount of time, and they can speak in support of or in opposition to any of the applications. It is the agency that is also then allowed to ask questions of either applicant during the review or during the public hearing. <clears throat> now, the CON law requires that a public hearing be held in the area where the proposed service is to be developed. <clears throat> so in light of the number of people who were dying on a daily basis as a result of COVID-19, the agency's decision to not hold public hearings, but still maintain the fundamental purpose, which is to allow members of the public to comment, cannot be deemed to be agency error. <clears throat> to, be, to, to be clear on that issue, you're, you're using the overall public policy approach from the other statute, not citing anything within 131E-185 that would grant that discretion, correct? That is correct. There's nothing specific in 131E that allows that discretion. Okay. Now, in granting summary judgment to Advent Health, the administrative law judge relied upon hospice at Greensboro, which is a case that this court decided. <clears throat> but hospice at Greensboro is completely distinguishable from this case. In hospice at Greensboro, the agency allowed Liberty to establish a hospice agency in Greensboro without, without submitting a CON application. The court held that <clears throat> a, the establishment of a hospice agency is a new institutional health service that requires an applicant to submit a CON and it specifically held that hospice at Greensboro was denied any opportunity to comment on Liberty's CON application because there was no CON application. It was the lack of opportunity to comment that was the basis for the court's finding that hospice at Greensboro was substantially prejudiced. <clears throat> that was not the case here. Here, there was a full CON process. Mission submitted an application. Advent Health submitted comments. The public submitted comments. A full review of the application was conducted. <clears throat> Unlike in hospice at Greensboro, the public submitted comments. Many of the comments were elicited by Advent Health. And further, since hospice at Greensboro and the briefs cite the litany of cases that have determined that agency error alone does not constitute substantial prejudice. Therefore, hospice at Greensboro is completely distinguishable from this case and the ALJ's reliance upon it is misplaced. His holding that the agency's error of not holding a public hearing constituted substantial prejudice as a matter of law is erroneous. And therefore, the ALJ's decision to grant summary judgment in Advent Health's favor should be reversed and summary judgment should be granted in favor of the agency and Mission Hospital. And if your honors don't have any other questions for me, I will now yield to I guess what's, what's the purpose of the of the comments what's the purpose of having them the purpose of the comments is simply to allow the public to weigh in on the development of health care services in its geographical region that is exactly what was allowed in this case is any decision maker in this process bound by their comments they're not bound by the comments but the agency considers all of the comments that it receives both in opposition and in support of. It's a part of the entire CON process, a part of the entire evaluation of the CON application. One of many facets. But it does not change the fact 
that the agency found Mission's application fully conforming with all statutory criteria. There are 15 statutory criteria, and an applicant must be found conforming or consistent with all of them for a CON to be awarded. If it's, if it's found not conforming with any one, a CON cannot be issued. Mission was found fully conformed with all criteria. Thank you, Your Honors. Good afternoon, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is, <clears throat> excuse me, is Ian Stauffer, and I'm here with my colleague William Madry from Baker Donaldson, and we are appearing on behalf of MH Mission Hospital, LLLP. Um, Mission Hospital is Western North Carolina's only tertiary care hospital and level two trauma center. In this case, Mission applied for a freestanding, a certificate of need to develop a freestanding emergency department, or FSED, in Candler, North Carolina, which is located in Western Buncombe County. After receipt of the application, the agency reviewed the application. The written comments submitted opposing the application, including those from Advent Health. The response to comments submitted by Mission and the written remarks from the public that were submitted in lieu of the public hearing before deciding to approve Mission's application. You've just heard uh, from Mr. Hunter and he addressed why the lack of a public hearing in this review did not rise to the level of agency error and why Advent Health was not substantially prejudiced by the lack of a public hearing in the underlying CON review. And we agree. And moving directly, Judge Gore, to one of your questions with respect to the discretionary aspect of the public hearing. We would contend, Your Honor, that the ALJ erred in granting summary judgment because the statute at issue in this case, 131E-185, and the statutory provision addressing the public hearing is a directory statutory provision and not a mandatory statutory provision. How do we balance that, counsel? Um, I guess the Supreme Court case, I guess it's HCA Crossroads uh, Residential Centers versus Department of Human Resources and kind of taking an approach not to the specific question at hand, but making some determination that some of the scheme is mandatory. How, how do you rationalize that with that Supreme Court case? Yeah, um, thank you, Judge Gore. And, and specifically, it, with respect to that particular question, um, Advent Health and the Appellees cannot have it both ways. So if, if 131E-185 is in fact mandatory, and jurisdictional as HCA Crossroads addresses with respect to part of 131E-185 and the, the court's um, decision that the timeframes within which the agency has to decide and issue a decision on the application are mandatory, then 131E-185 we would submit would be mandatory if that was the case and jurisdictional and therefore HCA Crossroads would apply and cause this, the portion of the remedy of the administrative law judge's summary judgment decision denying the certificate of need to mission and reversing the approval erroneous because HCA Crossroads stands for the proposition that if the agency does not comport or comply with the statutory prescribed mandates, it loses its jurisdiction or authority to deny the certificate of need application. And therefore, if it loses its authority to deny the certificate of need application, the mission's application should have been approved, uh, the approval should have been upheld, and a certificate of need should have been issued to mission. And in, in this case, though, you know, that, that would apply if you get to the point that the statute is mandatory and jurisdictional. However, if you look at 131E-185, the, the courts have said, that specifically Empire Power Company. Many courts have observed that statutory time periods are generally considered to be directory rather than mandatory unless the legislature expresses a consequence for a failure to comply within the time period. So in determining whether or not a provision is mandatory or directory, the courts can look beyond whether or not the term shall or must is included. And this court, in fact, in the past, in several cases, has determined 
that when a statute uses the term shall to direct an action within a certain time period, that that language is directory because the legislature did not attach a consequence for compliance with that time period. And some of those cases, Your Honor, are cited in our brief. And if you look at 131E-185, with respect to that language regarding the obligation for a public hearing, you will find that there is no specific mandate from the legislature with respect to what an outcome would be if the public hearing was not held. Now, so accordingly, if the, therefore, well, pardon me, therefore, so as a matter of law, the statutory provision would be directory and not mandatory based on those cases because there is no consequence uh, from the legislature in that statute with respect to the failure to conduct a public hearing. So if that statute then is directory, it is not mandatory, therefore not jurisdictional, and any failure to comply with that would not warrant the reversal of the approval of Mission's Certificate of Need application in, in this case. And further, with respect to that, there is no prejudice to Advent Health from the lack of a public hearing in this review. Uh, Advent Health was fully aware of the mission application. It submitted written comments in opposition to the mission application, which were considered by the agency. And further, Advent Health solicited and elicited and encouraged comments from members of the public opposing the mission application. So to the extent those were submitted, those would be the same types of things that could be stated, Judge Griffin, to your question, at a public hearing. So those comments were submitted uh, by the public, submitted to the agency, and the agency did review and consider those during the, the hearing process. Um, and at this point, I will, unless there's any other questions, I will save the remainder of my time for a rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I'm Noah Huffstetler of Nelson Mullins, Riley, and Scarborough, together with my colleagues Candace Friel and Nate Pincook. We're here on behalf of two organizations affiliated with the University of North Carolina, which I will refer to collectively as UNC Health. UNC Health appears as amicus curiae in this case, Your Honors, not in support of any party to address what we believe were two fundamental errors in the decision below, which could easily affect another case pending before this court at the present time, currently being briefed, in which UNC Health is the appellant. And those two errors, I think, have been admirably pointed out by the, um, the folks who have speak, spoken before me. It was error to find that the public hearing provision in question was mandatory. It was error for the ALJ to assume that agency error equated to substantial prejudice. Both of those are, I think, uh, covered pretty thoroughly in our brief. I would like to focus, if I may, on Judge Gore's question and on the first of those two errors. We pointed in our brief, I think four separate cases of this court, decisions preceding this, where this court, in order to determine what was the legislative intent, used the absence of any specific remedy or consequence in the statute to indicate that the General Assembly meant that to be discretionary, at least directive and not mandatory. Uh, Your Honor, Judge Gore, you pointed to the case of uh, HCA Crossroads versus Department of Human Resources. Um, I actually argued that case to the Supreme Court back in 1990. I believe I was 12 years old at the time. If we'll let you, that be your recollection. Yes, sir. It's the best I can do. We have to take the record as it is, though. And if you look at the court's reasoning in HCA, there's a stark contrast to what 
the administrative law judge did here. In HCA, the Supreme Court did not determine that the statute was mandatory just because it used the word shall. It did a very careful and in-depth parsing of the text of the statute to try to ascertain the legislative intent. The court used not only the canon of statutory construction that no part of the statute is to be deemed redundant or superfluous. It also went so far as to rely upon a grammatical principle, the doctrine of the last antecedent to determine what it was that the legislature was saying in the statute it dealt with. By contrast, in this case, the ALJ simply jumped straight from the fact that the statute included the words shall ensure to that being mandatory. And that is inconsistent with all four of the prior decisions of this court that we cited on page five of our brief. It's also, I think, strange credulity to believe that the General Assembly, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, an unprecedented health care emergency, would have wanted a needed health care facility, an emergency room, not to be built because of an inconsequential failure by the agency, even if it was, to follow the exact words of the statute. And I'll leave you, finally, members of the panel, with a quote from the majority opinion written by Justice Mitchell in HCA. When viewed in its entirety, the certificate of need law reveals the legislature's intent in an applicant's fundamental right to engage in its otherwise lawful business, be regulated, but not be encumbered with unnecessary bureaucratic delay. Unnecessary bureaucratic delay is exactly the result if ALJ Sutton's decision is upheld. It should be reversed. Counsel, question. For argument's sake, it was error. Take us to the next step in the analysis as it pertains to the prejudice. What is the stance of your brief and your co-counsel's stance on the prejudice to the parties? Our position, Your Honor, is that substantial prejudice was not proven here and was an issue that should have been resolved in a factual hearing. The cases, and I believe there were five of them that we cited beginning on page nine of our brief, prior decisions of this court, all stand for the proposition that you must prove more than just agency error. You must prove that that agency error resulted in substantial prejudice to the petitioner's rights. Those cases say that that prejudice cannot be conjectural or speculative. It has to be proven actual injury to the petitioner. That simply wasn't present here. The administrative law judge went wrong when he relied upon a single anomalous decision of this court, HCA, pardon me, Hospice at Greensboro, which has not been extended by this court to any other circumstance, which did not involve a CON application at all. It involved a letter that allowed a party to bypass the entire CON process. And so nobody had an opportunity to know about or comment on or oppose the project that went forward. That is not the situation here. It's factually distinguishable. And again, the decisions both before and after Hospice at Greensboro have not extended its holding there to any other situation, such as the one we have here. So we believe that was error, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, Your Honors. May it please the court, my name is Frank Kirschbaum, and I am here on behalf of Fletcher Hospital doing business as Advent Health Hendersonville. And with me is my colleague, Mr. Charles George, and we are with the firm of Wyrick Robbins. And Your Honor, you just heard an argument regarding um, an FSED from the amicus in this case. And their motion, the second motion that was filed with this court, was one to say that they were not providing support to any party. The case that they are actually litigating is a separate case that's before this court. And so that is, is something that should not be before this court or considered by this court, where they are making arguments about the facts of this particular case. But with respect to this case, I, I would like to start out by re referring you to the briefs that were filed by the appellant mission in this case. They filed a first brief and a reply brief. And in that first brief on page nine, they said to this court that agency error can never constitute substantial prejudice. On page 16 of that brief, they said, the notion that a showing of agency error establishes an automatic showing of substantial prejudice has been flatly rejected by our appellate courts. Then our brief was filed. The appellee's brief was filed. After that filing, the reply brief that came from appellant mission essentially said, okay, you're right. You can have substantial prejudice as a matter of law, but don't look at those cases. Don't use those cases, the Hospice of Greensboro case or the, the Pinnacle case that are cited in both briefs. Those two cases follow a chain, a pathway of law that starts at Hospice of Greensboro and has never changed where the agency is found to have made an error of law, there has never been a time where there was not substantial prejudice. And conversely, when they have not, when they have not found that there was an error of law, then they have not found that there was substantial prejudice. In this case, the ALJ found that there was an error of law. And in explaining that these cases should be ignored, this line of cases that has never been changed, they are essentially saying that the agency's free not to follow the rule of law as long as they take away some of your rights, but not all. Because in this case, the statute that is mandatory and is not affected by any other statutes that might be relevant is one that requires that there be a public hearing. And so I'd like to be able to explain to you from the statute itself exactly what it says about the public hearing. So assume, assume there is um, the error not to have in-person hearing. What's the substantial prejudice? The error is the failure to have that hearing. The right, so that's the error. What's the, you're saying that error itself, that, that's where it stops, that's substantial prejudice, and that's? That is the, the taking away of the right that is granted to all of the public and to Advent Health is substantial prejudice. That's what Hospice of Greensboro says. That's what Parkway Urology, in that footnote that's in that case, where the court says, we are not telling you, we're not gonna make a decision that when the agency fails to apply the statutes, that that's not substantial prejudice in and of itself. That, that has been stuck to all the way through each one of these cases. And at that public hearing, it is, it is the same as what we're doing before you today. You have the documents and file with you in this court. You could review those documents and make a decision, but it makes a difference. You make a difference by listening. We make a difference by talking to you we look at each other eye to eye, a hearing makes an actual difference. And that's why there's a difference between 131E185, A11, and A12. Under A1, everybody has an opportunity to file written comments. That is a given, that always happens. It is the special circumstances, one of which exists in this case today, that create the right to a public hearing. And at that public hearing, Oral arguments may be made regarding the application or applications under review, and the public hearing shall include the following. 
an opportunity for the proponent to speak, and an opportunity for any person except the proponent to comment on the application under the review, and an opportunity for the department to ask questions, just like you're doing today. So a public hearing is a different thing from filing written comments. And what the agency decided to do in this case was to give seconds on a right that everybody gets. But this was a special circumstance that gets you rights beyond that, and that right was denied by the agency. This, as you described, is the circumstance where there's a dollar threshold. It is such a large project that it justifies a public hearing, even if one's not requested. One doesn't need to be requested. With respect to protecting the public health and the separate statute that was referenced by counsel for the agency, that's a decision to be made by DHHS and the governor. And the governor did issue executive orders. The executive order relied on by the agency for not holding this public hearing is one that didn't relate to public gatherings. Now, the executive order issued by the government, number 215, that did relate to public gatherings. But that order was lifted and rescinded almost a year before this public hearing should have been held. So the decision as to what, how to protect the public best with respect to public hearings had already been made. Moreover, so council, say, say that you're, you're, I'm following your logic as far as your argument. Um, do you acknowledge that it, the burden of, of showing um, the forecast of evidence for, for the motion here and would be with you and, and your side of the case? At, at the, as far as the motion here and at the trial level, it, the burden of showing a forecast. That the agency aired? Yes. Yes. And so would the also follow suit that it would be uh, a requirement for you to kind of show a forecast of what the prejudice would be as well to survive the motion or to, for your motion to be granted? Because I've heard you say that the prejudice is that there wasn't a hearing. Correct. So obviously they're going to say, well, we gave everybody a chance to submit questions and submit. And then I, I've also heard you kind of dissected a little bit more to say the actual interaction is a benefit and so that was not allowed. Okay, that was not allowed, but what harm out of that not allowing that public interaction, that public dialogue, what harm came, is, is a result thereof? The, the basis for an appeal of the agency decision is the approval of the application. And so without having that hearing and that interaction and being able to argue, being able to have a conversation face to face, Advent Health, who is in the service area that was proposed, their, their facilities in the service area, has complained and you will see in all of the documents that are attached to this record that in quotes, mission references their monopoly in the area and how this hospital serving rural patients could be drastically harmed by this FSED to be put out there. Mm -hmm. But that freestanding emergency department, they would have argued at the public hearing, face to face, should not have been built. And so the, the, what you're describing, and I think what I'm saying is the substantial prejudice is taking away somebody's rights. The state has to follow the rule of law. They can't take away the rights of the public. They can't take away Advent Health's rights. You're going to hear another UNC hospital speak today about taking away their rights. But that is the substantial prejudice. And so it is ultimately the agency decision that gives rise to the ability to appeal. But that, that was the outcome of the case before the agency. Now, the agency also was holding hearings during this state of emergency. As I said, that, that order was lifted. The lifting of that order allowed for public gatherings, and public gatherings that were called for by the agency were, were performed during the state of emergency. In August of 22, there was a hearing on the Novant Beds application and the Mission Beds application and the Advent Health Beds application, totally separate and apart from this case, but still it within the state of emergency that they're claiming was the basis for not holding this hearing. 
And the WebEx hearing that you were hearing, you, you heard about earlier saying, well, the SHIC is separate from the DHHS. That is true, but DHHS holds the hearings for the SHIC. They are the body responsible for holding the hearings, and they held them. They held them by WebEx when the pandemic much earlier was at its worst. But when they were holding those public hearings and using that WebEx, the agency never asked how they could use the WebEx in this case, how they could create a public hearing, even if they decided, even if it was okay to make it remote. They never tried to, to create a WebEx. And as you'll see in our brief, their testimony was, well, it was like pulling teeth to get a password for the WebEx. And we didn't know who, whose name it was under. But that's because there wasn't an effort made to have the public hearing. And so the case law is pretty clear what you are, that, that shall, and this isn't just shall, this is shall ensure that a public hearing takes place. That's what the agency was responsible for doing. And you heard about cases where there were timelines related to directory statutory provisions, but that is not the case here. This isn't a timeline issue. In all of those cases that they're citing, that's where the event that was supposed to occur actually occurred, it just occurred late. This event never occurred. And so you, you hear within the cases that are cited, these, these timelines are directory, these timelines are directory. Now if we were here on a case where the agency held a public hearing but held it on day 21 instead of day 20, that's a different case. The timeline itself potentially could be directory even though it says shall and ensure, this hearing was never held, not in 21 days or in 200 days. It didn't happen. And the agency, again, has got to follow the rule of law. They cannot simply decide, we're not gonna comply with this one and use COVID-19 as an excuse. In March of 2020, COVID-19 was raging. In August of 2022, they were holding public hearings in person. This was April of 2022, very different from the earlier points in time where you heard about people who were dying and we couldn't, hold, we couldn't get together and everybody had to be masked. This is April of 2022, a long way into COVID. Uh, I assume that we, we held there was no error of law here. Is there any other substantial prejudice that y'all have alleged or claim is present? Your Honor, there is other substantial prejudice alleged, but this case isn't about that. What, what Mission is essentially asking for is a remand of this case. None of that was litigated. None of that has been argued. They have in, they've put cases in here saying this is just a result of normal competition, but they've also included in here the allegations about the monopoly in that area. This is not normal competition. And we are entitled, if this was not error, which it is, then we would be entitled to argue before the ALJ that this is not the result of normal competition. This is a result of the certificate of public advantage that is again in this record described as something that gave Mission a monopoly and now with the release of that certificate of public advantage that gave them a legalized monopoly, they were able to now reach out and destroy rural hospitals. That's our argument at the, at the lower level. So. I think we're still entitled to make that argument. I don't think this case should be remanded because I think this is plain error on the part of the agency and they're entitled to a hearing and, and Advent Health would be entitled to a hearing even if it wasn't before the ALJ. So uh, yes, there are claims of substantial prejudice separate and apart that were made, but this ALJ said, we don't even have to reach that. You've got a statutory requirement and there's nothing preventing you from reaching, from, from accomplishing that statutory requirement, and you just decided not to do it. And the agency, again, has got to fall, follow the rule of law. Now, Mission has also, and, and the agency have argued there were 152 applications and 86 reviews that all could be affected by this, but as the ALJ in this case found, because you decide not to apply the law once does not mean that you get to not apply it as many times as you want. 
and there has not, there's no evidence presented and there's no evidence in the record that any of these cases are in a posture where anybody could raise this issue or that it would ever be litigated. And again, this happened months ago. The only evidence before you is that one party, UNC, the amicus in this case, has come forward and wants a different result in the case they have before you. That's the only evidence related to all of this parade of horribles that they have put before you. And so, Your Honors, I, I believe that the ALJ in this case got it right, that, the AL, that he, he saw the same thing that was filed in this brief, that, well, you can never have agency error be substantial prejudice. Okay, yeah, you can have it be substantial prejudice, and you can't take away the rights of people, of the public that are a part of this process. The agency can't take away those rights and then make a decision without the full complement of information they would have received if they carried out what they were supposed to do under the statute. Are you speculating that they didn't get all their, the full information they were going to get? I mean. I'm not speculating. There was no public hearing. Right, but they had an opportunity to submit comments. And so, I mean, why, why couldn't they substantively have, have that in compliance? Or be the Someone who submits written comments can't be asked questions like you're asking me today. And that's why I'm saying Advent Health is entitled under this statute, under the, what's been given by the legislature, to make those statements, to make those arguments, and be asked questions just like you're asking today. Counsel, on that, on that thing of thinking, obviously we're asking you questions and you know, you're responding back and forth. Is there anything within the statute that requires the agency to have to have dialogue back and forth in the statutory scheme. And so, say they set up a public hearing. They say, hey, everybody you can submit written questions or verbal, you know, response, verbal states. And there's a box, so everybody fills out some stuff, some folks don't. And then individuals stand up and they give their, their two cents. There's no questions. There's no debate. And they set it up that way. Are you aware of a case that says, hey, they have erred in only allowing folks to, you know, give comment and then have no dialogue back and forth and found that that was error? Because in, in essence, comparably, by opening it up for public comment through submitting, you know, statements to them, you know, for folks to voice it. It's the same concept. One's just in a public setting. One's just in writing. So help Help me dissect the difference that they've complied with it being public. And it's, in essence, the same scheme. And, and Your Honor, I believe if it was the same scheme, then there would not be an A1 and an A2, okay. and an A2 for this special circumstance. Okay. So those things are not the same. Okay. But it happens all the time that there's not questions. It also happens that the agency uses in their findings what they hear at the public hearing and they reference it directly, and that is included in the record. If you look at the agency decision on page 1424, specifically on 1460 and 1480 in the record, the agency in a decision says, based upon what I heard at the public hearing, I'm approving this application as one of the factors. So it is actually used as a tool by the agency. And as you heard from the agency's counsel, those comments are all considered. So the fact that they could come and speak and be heard, and again, there doesn't have to be questions. A lot of times there aren't questions, but you can look each other in the eye, and if you've got a question, you could ask it then. But you may learn something new, and, and as everybody knows, when you're looking at a cold set of documents, sometimes it's hard to find everything that's in there. And especially when we put enough in front of you that you've got so many documents you can't read every single document, when you get to come in front of the agency or you get to come in front of this court and speak, then you get to bring forward the most salient points. You get to make sure that you're heard. And so we would ask that the, that the ALJ's decision be upheld and that summary judgment be granted in, in favor or upheld in favor of Advent Health 
and that if it's not, that this case be remanded so that we can make our arguments with regard to substantial prejudice and what is not normal competition in Western North Carolina. And I have yielded the rest of my time to counsel for UNC. Thank you. Party. Thank you. May it please the court, I'm Maureen Murray with the firm of Fox Rothschild. We represent Henderson County Hospital Corporation, also known as Pardee Hospital, Margaret Pardee Hospital. It has a management agreement with UNC, but is a separate nonprofit corporation. And we have a differing viewpoint than Mr. Huffstetler's clients, who's he, he's here to speak today. One thing we have in common is he and I have both been doing this a long time, and we both started when we were 12. And just like Mr. Huffstetler, I've been involved in one of the cases that you're talking about today, and that's Hospice of Greensboro. I represented Hospice of Greensboro with my colleagues in that case. And that case, the court held that there was agency error because there was not a full CON review conducted. Now, a full CON review includes multiple things. It does not just include reviewing the application. It does not just include getting written comments. The legislature decided in these types of cases, it also includes a public hearing. That's a full CON review. That right was denied. And the legislature was very clear in delineating two separate rights, as Mr. Kirschbaum has mentioned, the right to comments and the right to a public hearing. You've asked about what's the difference, Judge Gore. And we cited in our amicus brief Goldberg versus Kelly, which is a US Supreme Court case, and Justice Brennan's opinion. And he went into detail about the difference between written submissions and a hearing. And he held the two were not the same. Specifically, he said, written submissions do not afford the flexibility of oral presentations. They do not permit the recipient here, a welfare beneficiary, to mold his argument to the issues the decision maker appears to regard as important, as you are by your questions today. Made it very clear that there's a difference between the opportunity to appear in person and have your say. We also cited to you in our brief examples of recent public hearings where large groups of people appeared from the public, 40, 70, standing room only, overflowing the room. Those people don't necessarily submit a written comment, but they want to be there. Not everybody has enough time to speak within the time allowed, but many do. And their very presence aligned on one side of whether the application should be approved or not signifies and communicates to the agency whether the application conforms to the applicable criteria. The statute says it's not just to sort of give you a chance to stand up there and breathe hot air. The comments at the public hearing are aimed at the criteria and whether the application conforms. And there are real live people, people who are involved in the delivery of health care, people who are involved in receiving health care, people who travel certain roads every day, speak to whether it takes a long time or a short time, whether that's a good provider or not a good provider, all of that matters and is considered. And as Mr. Kirschbaum mentioned, it's been referenced in a number of agency decisions over the years that what was heard at a public hearing mattered. I've been to several. They can be pretty powerful where you have large groups of people appearing. It is a public process, and that's part of the process that the legislature has determined. As Mr. Kirschbaum said, the prejudice is the deprivation of that right to appear and be heard. It doesn't have to be anything more than that, because here there is a clear statutory right. Some of the other cases that have been referred to about substantial prejudice don't have a clearly articulated statutory right that's expressly in the statute. Here we do, and the agency deprived Advent Health and the public of it. UN uh, Pardee Hospital is in another case involving another freestanding ED in Arden, close to the Buncombe-Henderson County line. That case is behind this one, as it turns out, even though we started 
um, in terms of raising the summary judgment and having a hearing, an actual trial first, before Judge Sutton. So we do have an interest in the same side of the issue as Advent Health. That issue is also represented by the public in this opportunity to be heard. It has been deprived. That in and of itself is both error in failing to uphold the statute that the legislature's determined and substantial prejudice. And here the legislature and the executive branch have both spoken. There were no executive orders, as Mr. Kirschbaum said, giving an excuse at this point in time in April 2022 for not holding a public hearing. The legislature had not allowed an exemption. It was required, and the agency just ignored it. Council, as you wrap up, obviously there's been discussions by uh, Council that there were potential prejudices that were not discussed and really articulated. Um, are there any argued prejudice that were discussed that you want to put on the, put in argument today outside of just, you know, the failure to have the hearing? Uh, Your Honor, we were not a party in this case, so I can't speak to the record in this case. I know that in the case in which we are a party, there are other items of evidence and other substantial prejudice that was advanced, and that's not in the record in this case. Thank you. Thank you. And we're back with rebuttal to the appellate. Thank you, Your Honor. And, and first, to address, uh, quickly address a few points raised by uh, opposing counsel. They were referring to uh, several cases that addressed that, well, th this court has upheld that um, error as a matter of law is sufficient to establish substantial prejudice. And there is the one anomalous case, Hospice of Greensboro, which purportedly stands for that proposition. However, Mr. Hunter completely distinguished that case. It is not uh, a full CON review at all. It was a no review where there was no application, no procedure at all. Second, they cited to uh, a footnote in the Parkway urology case that would that they contend supports their position that uh, that an error of law or agency error would suffice for substantial prejudice. And if you look at that footnote, all it says is, we therefore do not decide whether a pre-existing non-applicant competing health service provider is substantially prejudiced as a matter of law if a final decision fails to analyze all required statutory criteria for the grant of a certificate of need. All this did was, was a footnote, which is dicta, and declined to address the issue. It doesn't in any way support uh, the issue or contention that an error of law suffices to meet the substantial prejudice requirement. Second, or in addition, there was also references to the fact that public hearings are routinely referenced as support for an agency decision in the agency findings. In the record here in this case, if you look at the agency findings, there are references where the agency referred to the public, the written remarks that they received from the public in lieu of the public hearing in their review and analysis and discussion of this case. Also, there was reference to the fact that there were multiple or other public hearings that occurred during the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, you heard Mr. Hunter address the, the public hearings or the hearings that were conducted by the CHIC. Um, there was also reference to a public hearing on a BEDS case. Um, that is distinguishable as well. Yes, it did occur slightly before the end of the state emergency. However, that the public hearing itself occurred after the governor had announced that the public emergency was going to be lift, lifted in that August timeframe. So what we have here is that the agency, or pardon me, Advent Health, the Apple failed to establish the substantial prejudice. Um, a, a petitioner in a certificate of need review has to establish agency error and substantial prejudice, and neither of those were set out here. The, as you can fully set out in our briefing, and you can see the record shows that Advent Health 
did not and could not demonstrate substantial prejudice. And that's because all of their claims are substantial prejudice were based, were competition-based claims, including loss of market share, financial losses, or increased competition, all of which the courts have held do not constitute substantial prejudice. And if a petitioner cannot demonstrate substantial prejudice, courts have held that agency error ultimately is immaterial. Here, the statute is directory and not mandatory. And so that does not justify the reversal of the approval of mission certificate of need application. Even if you were to find that there was agency error, and even if you were to find that that agency error constituted substantial prejudice, HCA Crossroads would mandate that the approval of missions application. And you did not hear any, you did not hear the appellee argue why HCA Crossroads would not apply and require the approval of missions application. And you did not hear the amici in support of the appellee argue as to why the HCA Crossroads case would not require the approval of the mission application, even if you were to find agency error and substantial prejudice. And we would respectfully ask that this court reverse the entry of summary, grant of summary judgment for Advent Health in this case and enter summary judgment for the agency and mission in this case. We're in the alternative, reverse the final decision with respect to the entry of the denial of missions application and order that the missions application be approved and a certificate of need be issued to mission consistent with the directives of HCA Crossroads. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you to all the parties. We'll take it under advisement at this point and render accordingly. Mr. Clerk.